In the wee hours of Sunday, August 28th, 2022, Heritage Auctions sold themselves a Mickey Mantle 1952 Tops card for, wait for it, wait for it, 12.6 million clams, yikes! The most ever paid for a sports card, or for that matter, any sports collectible of any form, period. Luckily for me, and for that matter, luckily for you, my dear listeners, one of Heritage's big muckety mucks took time out of his weekend to discuss the sale, the Mick, and the Mick sales impact on the hobby, all on a very special episode of Collect This. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. Joe Orlando, Heritage Auctions Executive Vice President of Sports. You have taken time on Sunday after being up like well past midnight uh, for arguably one of the most exciting and important moments that the hobby has ever seen. I, I have. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I am guilty. I've had two Jigundo coffees today <laughs> to, 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 stay, to stay awake. Um, yeah, it was a long night, but it was an exciting night, that's for sure. So, before we dive into the specifics of that exciting night, and man, I wish I was there. Um, talk to me about Mickey Mantle. Like, what is it about Mantle that has transcended sport, culture, and collecting? Well, I think there's, yeah, there, there's Mantle, and then, of course, there's the card, and they both, uh, they, they both deserve some, some attention in, or in terms of uh, explanation as to why they mean so much to, mm-hmm. to the hobby. I mean, if you think about Mantle, and he just, as, a, as an athlete, he checked all the boxes. He was, if you want to call it like uh, American Dream type of story, like much like Babe Ruth, um, mm-hmm. small town kid goes to the Big Apple, you know, goes to the, goes to the Yankees, and becomes the starting center fielder for you know the most popular team in the league. They they're perennial World Series contenders and and you know won so many championships while he was there, and not to I mention mean, replacing Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, not to mention that that small detail. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, and just his his personality. I mean, people. I, I think he because he was just a down to earth, fun guy, um, which is very different, of course, than the than the reputation that DiMaggio had. They're very different mm-hmm. personalities. Yep, I think yep. the fans just ate that up. I mean, the, the way I've described it to people before is like Mickey Mantle was the type of guy you could just imagine having a beer with. Like he's just, he, if he was your next door neighbor, you'd be hanging out at the barbecue, having a beer, just talking, you know, just talking about the game or something like that. Like he just is a, his person, it was everything about him, even his name. I mean, it's almost out of Hollywood casting, you know, Mickey mm-hmm. Mantle. There's something about, I mean, again, much like Babe Ruth, like some names just, they sound like, you know, an icon or a superstar. I mean, everything about him. I mean, and when he, he was, you know, before injuries ravaged him and really cut his career short, especially, mm-hmm. you know, right around the mid 1960s to the end of his career. I mean, he was, I mean, he could run faster than anybody in the game. He could hit the ball further than anyone in the game. He was a switch hitter. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's unfortunate because you, know, you see those images sometimes. I think you and I were talking about it once on a podcast, you know, towards the end of his career where he can barely get around the bases. Yeah. Um, and 
and, and here's a guy that just ran like the wind when he was in his prime. And so he, you know, we, you'll never know or will never know what his numbers could have been or what his career could have turned out to be had he had uh, injuries not taken their toll on him in addition to his lifestyle. Yeah, for context, I wrote an article uh, about Mantle's injuries many years ago. If I remember correctly, he suffered 12 major injuries in his career, um, many of which uh, to the lower body. And that stuff just doesn't heal properly. Speaking of someone who's had uh, ankle issues throughout his life, the rest of your body has to compensate for your bum ankle. And in his case, the rest of his body had to compensate for his bum everything. Uh, and yet he managed, even in his uh, final years, to put up some really good numbers. That's right. I mean, and, and he had a lot of you know knee issues. I think the knee injury was the first major one that he suffered. Yep. Um, you know, uh, patrolling the outfield with DiMaggio, and you know, I think anyone realizes. You know, when you're talking about any sport, if you don't have your legs, I mean, I don't care if you're a baseball player or a boxer. Like your legs are so critical. Yep. To yep. everything you do, and the fact that he was able to do what he did throughout his career. I mean, and again, it's it, it, he was the total package. I mean, personality, personal story. He just, again, checked all the boxes as an athlete. Yeah. And, be, and even, you know, what's amazing is that even facing, you know, death, you know, later in his life, he still, you know, he he went up. He took responsibility for the things that he did to his body, you know, his lifestyle mm -hmm. with the drinking mm -hmm. and so forth. And it's just in that moment, um, again, just reminded people why they loved him so much. Like, yeah. just it was, and I think so. It was it was everything from from his career to the end of his life, um, and for a whole generation of of fans. And and by the way, a whole generation of collectors future collectors during the 1980s when the hobby that was the big hobby boom when it you know transformed for the, this little niche thing this niche hobby to this nationwide phenomenon right. mickey mantle was at the center of it because the baby boomer generation was driving so much of it and he was the idol of all idols mm. i love i love that um very concrete explanation right he was an amazing player he was a cultural icon for lack of a better word it's a, it's a used word that's been used time and again um and the era was right right the era that he was um the age the age of the demographic i guess would be a good word to use the demographic of his collectors made him so valuable now talk about the card talk about the 52 tops it's like mythical why is it so mythical what makes that card uh, there's other cards that uh, you know listen i'd love to have that card in my my possession right but there's a i'd love to have a shoeless joe jackson card in my possession i'd love to have you know there are will chamberlain cards i'd love to have why this card you know, there's there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, number one, it was Topps's first major effort. So they they had some smaller sets that they had released earlier, but 1952 was their national sort of unveiling. It was the first major national effort that Topps put together, and the cards were different than the Bowman cards that had mm -hmm. preceded it. So mm -hmm. Bowman and Topps, of course, got into this you know battle for a few years for for supreme but when tops came out it's funny if you look at the tops wrappers and the top like the boxes it, it repeats over and over again 
giant cards, you know, that these are big and they were, they were bigger than the Bowman cards. So they, they just looked awesome. I mean, like the yeah. eye appeal of the 52 tops cards, it, not to say that the Bowman cards aren't awesome as well, but that was a big part of their marketing is that, yeah, here's, it's a bigger card. It has this, you know, tremendous eye appeal. And, you know, he was at the, the center there's, there, there's of, of the set. I mean, there are many other great cards of the set, but it was his first tops card. Now, to make something perfectly clear, and this is one of the most interesting things I think I, I've experienced in my entire collecting life is that some people still refer to it as the rookie card. I guess it's his tops rookie, if you want to call it that. But yeah. to be clear, for those who, who aren't familiar, I mean, he did have his first card was his 1951 Bowman right. uh, card. So that's really the sort of true rookie card of Mickey Mantle, but it was his first tops card. And, and honestly, beyond all the technical uh, things about it, I mean, in terms of the set being the most popular post-war set um, mm -hmm. still to this day uh, in all of card collecting, just look at the image. There's something that is so incredible about the image itself. Like when you look at it, it's, it's kind of, it's perfection like the colors the pose the facsimile signature obviously like yep. i joked about earlier with his name it's like right out of hollywood casting <laughs> it's such an awesome looking card it it is it really has become in a way more pop culture art than just a baseball card when you just see the image of the card and, and like we were talking about earlier because the 1980s was such a sort of critical moment in the evolution of our hobby mm -hmm. i know some people refer to the, the wagner the t206 wagner as being the holy grail and that actually you can make plenty of arguments that it still is the holy mm -hmm. grail mm -hmm. but in terms of like the symbol of baseball card collecting I would argue that the 52 tops mantle is actually in terms of just the image power, the symbolic power. I, I think that that is the, really the symbol of all baseball card. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Hannes Wagner card is Hannes Wagner, right? He's great, but he's not, he's, he hasn't um, permeated pop culture anywhere near the way mantle has uh and, and mantle has the you know added bonus of not only being an amazing card like the t206 wagner but it's mickey freaking mantle right like it, i'd say maybe four out of ten baseball fans might not know a much about honest wagner and maybe like two out of ten don't even know who the guy is right yeah i mean with wagner it's it's more about what the card is where with the mantle it's a, it's, it's more about both it's balance i mean wagner yeah. of course still people argue he could be the greatest shortstop of all time it's very yeah. possible it's hard it's a, it's hard to compare uh different eras but but mantle yeah he he checks more boxes as both a popular athlete and like you said you bring up a really good point the timing has a lot to do with it too. Like the stars sort of align yeah. when it comes to mantle, the card, the generation that worshiped him and how the hobby blossomed kind of all at the same time mm -hmm. um, during the 1980s. So the, the card, again, I think you just, when people just look at an image of the card, it generates a reaction, you know, especially from, from collectors, right? Like, but even non-collectors, they see it and it, there's something about it. It kind of, it, it has that, um, I don't know. It just, it's a visceral reaction that people have to it. I don't think it's overstating to say that it's a legitimate 
honest to goodness work of art. Like I think people sometimes when they're talking about the value of it and the scarcity of it and the excitement of Mickey Mantle, uh, you'd said the, the, the word I appeal or the phrase I appeal. Uh, it is a legitimately beautiful card. What makes this particular card that 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 uh, sold last night for a record 12.6 million? Uh, what makes it really, really interesting, in my opinion, is the fact that this collector, this consigner, had the foresight to get a letter of of provenance, a le- a letter that documents the pedigree connecting mm-hmm. the card to the most famous find in the history of the hobby. Uh, which took place in the mid-1980s, and Mr. Mint, Alan Rosen, discovered it was about 5,500 uncirculated 1952 Topps cards, including dozens of mantles. And in his opinion, it was the greatest, it was the, the finest specimen of that group. But really, it's just the connection to the find itself, um, that I that is so great, and the fact that it was documented. So many yeah. pieces of sports memorabilia were not documented in that way back in the 1980s and 1990s. Mm-hmm. Jerseys, bats, you name it, and it 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 never happens with cards. But in this case, the the buyer who turned out to be the, you know the consigner, he asked Mr. Rosen, "Would you please you know write a letter that connects this to the find?" And I think. What's neat about that is, you know, forever and ever and ever, it will always be connected and separated because as far as I know, and as far as anyone else knows, it's the only one that has a letter that connects it to the find. Wow. Um, All right. So this thing has been, uh, we've known about this for about, what, six, eight weeks now. We know that Heritage is going to sell it. Uh, The general consensus, the second that everybody in the hobby heard about it was, this is going to break the record, right? You have not been with Heritage for, I think, the entire uh, lifetime of this uh, particular journey. Um, Tell me about when you came in what you knew about the card, what you suspected would happen, and then walk us through last night. Walk us through the excitement of, geez, selling the thing for 12 million bucks. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. So I actually, so the week of the national um, was the week that uh, I joined Heritage, and at least, or at least announced that I was joining Heritage, and I actually started technically on August 1st. So you're right. I kind of came in the, the middle of this uh process but i had a chance at the national of course to see the card on display it was so beautifully displayed and Mm -hmm. of course there was a crowd every day taking pictures around around the card and so that was really the talk of the show you know everyone was speculating what was it going to go for what was going to go for and i think the consensus was no matter what you think it's going to go for it is going to break the record and of course it really (laughs) shattered the record um you know, last night, but basically by, by if I recall correctly, by, by about double the previous auction record, uh, I think it yeah. was 6.6, something like that for the Wagner card um, that was sold, I think, by by uh, REA, uh, you know, about a year ago. And then this, of mm-hmm. course, almost doubled it. So, you know, the or, or more than doubled it, I should say. Um, but in any no, almost doubled it. But anyway, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm still I'm still uh, waiting for the coffee to kick in. Apparently, but, uh, <laughs> but the uh, but last night, you know, it's you know being a collector and being on the other side of this for so many years and you know participating in auctions, you know, it's everyone has their strategy as a bidder, right? Sometimes they want to force the issue early. 
sometimes they wait until kind of the the wee hours to kind of sneak in towards the end as long as you get that early initial bid in and so now that i'm on this side of the fence you know watching the auction take place it was really interesting because you know in some cases the bidding would come in bunches after the extended bidding then it would you know lie dormant for a little bit and then a few more would come in and so you're sort of watching this unfold and it's it's really interesting and and i guess it's 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 not it's not really stressful but it's it's exciting because everyone you know everyone knew going in the the card was so great it spoke for itself it was going to sell for a great price it's just you know how high is it going to go so mm-hmm. you're sitting there just watching this unfold and um you know when it when it finally closed you know the bottom line is you know at 12.6 it's the first eight figure sports collectible ever and it's yeah. you know by you know by far it's the record for you know any card certainly but it's also the record for any um for any sports collectible period and so i think it's a great day for the entire hobby i mean of course you know great day for the consigner great day for heritage and and obviously i'm sure the the winning bidder is going to be very excited to get this uh into his hands but uh, but i think it's a great day for the hobby because it takes these types of moments to kind of break through you know barriers and now again it's the first eight figure sale at auction Mm -hmm. um and that's a big deal huge uh so you're down right now at the heritage mothership down in texas um talk bring me behind the scenes take me backstage to what was going on with your team as you're watching these bids come in and then stop and then come in and then stop and watching the clock tick 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 and knowing that this is going to be this is going to be it. Well, it's, you know what it's like, it's like, so you're sitting there and you're, so there's a, there's a, an activity screen. So you're watching, you know, the, the lots sort of just being hit as in, in real time. Right. And so, you know when you can you can click and so can by the way uh bidders you know and yeah. people that are just watching the auction you can see you know how much time is left like it's going into extended bid and if and if there's not a bid for 30 minutes it closes that's the way it works so it's you know, you feel a little sort of you know powerless or helpless because <laughs> you're watching it happen and, and and some people are calling in and they're asking questions you know people that are that are you know bidding on it they're asking for additional pieces of information and you know like and, and you know so it's and, and when you're talking about an item of this magnitude you know you know it's a it's a serious commitment i mean this is a, yeah. a large sum of money so it's uh you know again it, it's it's fun but it's also it, look it's it's serious business when you're talking about a number well over 10 million dollars so it's yeah i mean from a from a behind the scenes perspective it's super exciting um, but you're, you know, you you have to just, you're watching it unfold. And so it, it happens. Sometimes it happens quickly. You know, again, we're, we're bidders are forcing the issue early. Sometimes it's a, it's this slower back and forth. And, um, and you just, again, you're a, at that point, you know, from a heritage perspective. And I think, you know, from an employee perspective, you know, you've done all the work, you know, the marketing's out there. The image, you know, everything's done, right? The website's mm-hmm. out there. The catalogs mm-hmm. are out there. You've talked to people for weeks and weeks and weeks about the auction, about different items in the auction. Now it's game time. You just have you have to watch things unfold before your eyes. But it's all the hard work that this great team puts into it, and then and just watching it, just watching it go. 
I'm really happy for you guys at Heritage Auctions. Uh, congratulations are in order. This is a big moment, uh, not just for Heritage, uh, but for the hobby. What's good for you guys and is good for us, is good for all collectors, is good for all companies in the space. Um, and, you know, when these articles pop up on ESPN and, and CNN, uh, it, it, it's big. I, I think I cannot overstate how huge that is for our little weird niche world. <laughs> Oh yeah, the, just the the mainstream media coverage is it that that helps everybody, collectors, dealers, auction houses. It helps everybody because it draws more attention to our hobby. And by the way, just as a side note, so much of the attention was was put on the card as it should be because it's such a a great piece. There were all sorts of other records set, and some in in categories. The mm-hmm. highest bat to ever sell, one point six eight million. Babe Ruth, that's the highest auction price. The highest price for an, a, a vintage photo, Ty Cobb, 516000 You could just Jeez. go down the list. $1.2 million for a top Gretzky rookie in a PSA 10. I mean, Jeez. it was one after the other. So the, the good news is that it wasn't just the mantle, although the mantle, of course, was the showstopper. Yeah. The, the, the hobby is alive and well, and the, and the prices reflect that. So... Um, it, it was, I th- again, it was good all around for everyone. We have our second session tonight, so <laughs> I'm getting ready for another, uh, a long evening, but, uh, really appreciate it down. Whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady playoff contenders rookie card from 2000, or I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963. And yes, that's a thing. Certified sports guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. A subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports card graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit csgcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldsher. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. 